You're listening to a podcast from Reality Honolulu. For more information or ways to get involved in the life of the church, visit realityhonolulu.com. Thanks for listening. get into the Word of God. So we are in Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 31 this morning. Uh, Mark 10, 17 through 31. Today we're discussing the rich man in the kingdom of God. And so why don't you read with me or share with someone next to you if you don't have a Bible. Mark 10, 17 through 31 says this. As Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down and asked, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, the man replied, I have obeyed all these commandments since I was young. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There is still one thing you haven't done, he told him. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad, for he had many possessions." Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard is it for the rich to inherit the kingdom of God? This amazed them. But Jesus said again, dear children, it is very hard to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were astounded. Then who in the world can be saved, they asked. Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it's impossible, but not with God. Everything is possible with God. Then Peter began to speak up. We've given up everything to follow you, he said. Yes, Jesus replied, and I assure you that everyone who's given up house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or property for my sake and for the good news, will receive now, in return, a hundred times as many houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and property along with persecution. And in the world to come, that person will have eternal life. But many who are the greatest now will be least important then, and those who seem least important now will be greatest then. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, thank you for this section of your word that you've allowed us to study, to dig into, to understand, to to look deeper in, to stop for a moment and to really dig through your words and what they say. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would author this time, that you would speak to us by your power in your way. Thank you that you are, you're so good at speaking to, to our innermost being, every single one of us, in a different way, exactly the way we need to be spoken to. Thank you that you're God and you can do that. And so we pray that you would anoint this time, that you would anoint my lips to communicate these truths. And we pray, Lord, that our hearts would be soft to receive them. They'd be like that fertile soil that as we receive the word is, is deeply rooted and it produces 30, 60, 100-fold fruit in our lives. 
And so God, would you give us understanding, but then also application? What does that mean for me daily, like in, in my life, here and now, with all that I have going on, what does this mean for me? Would you show us that? Would you teach us? Would you lead us? Thank you that you are our good shepherd, and that's what you do. You lead us beside still waters. Thank you, Lord. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, first, I want to just walk through a little bit of the context of this scene just to give us a little bit more understanding and then kind of dig into some, some points that we can kind of take home with us. But first is this man, this, this rich young ruler. This man is, is wealthy. He's prominent. Uh, he's important. The world sees him that way. And, he, and he's somebody. And he comes before Jesus. And he runs and he comes and he kneels at Jesus' feet. I mean, he gets down on his knees and he begs Jesus, how do I inherit eternal life? Even though he's prominent and wealthy and a man of stature, at the feet of Jesus, he is kneeling on his knees asking Jesus and actually addressing him as good teacher or good rabbi. The significance of that is that you didn't call rabbis good, or you didn't use that type of wordage or that type of language. You didn't say that. When this man said this at the feet of Jesus, when he said, good teacher or good rabbi, what must I do to inherit eternal life, that, wang that language there actually denotes deity, even in the conversation as it goes on, Jesus asks him, why did you call me good? Only God is good. And this man doesn't correct Jesus. He agrees. I'm calling you good because you're God. You're different than earthly rabbis. You're different than any Jewish rabbis I've seen. And that's why I'm here asking you because you have the power to grant me eternal life. And so this rich, prominent important guy is at the feet of Jesus, right, on a dusty road, begging him, how, how do I get eternal life? Good teacher, God, how do I go to heaven? This is what this man is saying. It's an endearing phrase talking about the Messiah. This man is believing the claim that Jesus is who he said he was. He is not doubting. He is not wondering. He's coming for a reason, and he's coming to get an answer from Jesus of how he can get eternal life. So the first thing that we see here, and it's important to know, and as a, if you're taking notes, is the need to be right before God. This is what he's doing. He's, at least he's asking it. How do I gain eternal life? How do I become right with God so that I'm accepted to heaven? This man, in some sense, he came believing and he is desiring to go to heaven. And right, that's the first step in humanity when we come to Jesus or when we're going to come to Jesus, we're going to believe. It's either us come wanting Right, we, we know we have a need and we're in need of a savior and so we're trying to figure out who Jesus is and what he's about because we know we're in need. And sometimes, like the Holy Spirit actually illuminates Jesus to us, right? 
he allows us to encounter Jesus, whether it's through a sermon or a conversation, God speaks to us and we hear about Jesus and our eyes are opened and we encounter Jesus. But the first step to, to know, to get to heaven, to know we need to be right with the Lord is just to have this want or this desire to be right before God. And this man is doing this. He comes to the feet of Jesus and he says, how am I to be saved? Please tell me, how do I get to heaven? I wish it was that easy. I wish that evangelism was that easy sometimes, right? That every coworker and family member would just come up to us and beg us, tell me about Jesus. How do I get to heaven? Just tell me the right way and I'll do it. In some sense, this is what this man is doing. He's coming before this person that he believes to be God, and he's saying, I believe you're God. How do I inherit heaven? How do I inherit eternal life? But there was a slight issue with his question, and Jesus will get to the root of the problem in a second. But the second point today is this human desire to earn salvation, and that's what this rich man is actually getting at. See, this rich young man thought that he could just earn it somehow, right? He had earned everything else in life. He had all the money he needed. He had all the stature. He was important. Everybody thought he was important. And so he really had everything. And so he's coming to Jesus and say, well, I don't have that. How do I get it? Tell me. Tell me how I get that. I want that. And in a lot of sense, this, young, this rich, young ruler was bringing, which we'll see in a second, his own accomplishments and his own achievements, the things of which he has done or hasn't done to the feet of Jesus and say, aren't I good? Can I have eternal life now? Haven't I earned it? See, to be a rich man in either Jewish or Greek culture back then, you would in some sense people would see you as being good with God. Well, you're, you're blessed. You're wealthy. You've been given much in this life. That means that the God, that God or the gods of the time, faces were shining upon you. And you were wealthy and you had status. You are right with the gods of the day. This was, this was a thing. And so even for this man to come to Jesus and ask everyone around him, might have thought, well, don't you already have everything? Aren't you already good? I mean, you've made it. You're blessed. You're wealthy. You're important. The gods must like you. Even culturally, if you were wealthy, it would mean that, man, you were provided for and blessed. And this man comes to Jesus with all the money and all the status and with all the good performance. He had made all these things happen, and he asks, can I get eternal life also? I've got everything else. Can I get eternal life also? And so Jesus answers his question with a list of some of the Ten Commandments, right? And so Jesus responds to this guy, and he says, okay, but to answer your question, verse 19, and then he lists off this list of incomplete Ten Commandments, right? He says, well, if you want to know, you must not murder, you must not commit adultery, you must not steal, you must not testify, you must not cheat anyone, and uh, you need to honor your father and mother. And the, man, the man's response is, I'm good. 
I've never done any of those things, and I've done all of them well since I was young. I've passed the test. I've performed well. I'm righteous. I have not done anything wrong. And so in other words, I've earned this. I've earned salvation by my works and by my accomplishments. I've followed the law. And so don't I deserve it? Don't I, haven't I earned a right standing with God? And if it wasn't obvious already, this so many times is the approach for us before God. It's a bunch of rules. It's a bunch of checklists. And as long as we stay inside the lines and obey the rules and check enough boxes, we're good with God, right? And all of a sudden, we live our lives by comparing to other people, right? And we also have our own reward system on a sliding scale. And we align our lives up to the other person and say, I mean, really? Like, I'm doing a lot better than them. Aren't I good? Aren't I good? Like, why do I need to be better? Aren't I good with God? I'm, I'm following most of the stuff. I'm, I'm not doing really bad things. I'm actually living my life. I'm like a nice person. I'm generous. I give my money away. My neighbor needs help. I help him. Like, I go to church like two or three times a month. Isn't that good? Like, maybe four some months. Sometimes I go every Sunday. And all of a sudden, like, we have our own reward system with gold stars. And at moments, we could be like, wow, we are A-plusing this religious Christianity walk with God thing. And this is what this guy is doing. Give me a list. Give me a checklist. Tell me, Jesus, how to be saved. Oh, that's the rules? I've passed them. I'm good. Get me in. So we do the same thing. So we're a good person. We get into heaven, right? From an early age, um, when I was a kid, I didn't grow up in a Christian household, but you hear just about this concept of heaven and hell, and you learn about death, and people die, and then as kids, whether it's through media or other people, you learn like, oh, there may be a place where you go, and there's two places and one you don't want to go to. And there's all this really vivid, vivid, weird, scary imagery of hell, and there's all this really weird kind of angelic view of heaven, right? And there's these two places. And so I'm, you know, less than 10 years old and uh, asked my mom, say, mom, like when I die, what happens? What, what, where do I go? And, you know, my mom had grown up in the Catholic church, but she, you know, not practicing anything and um, just honestly, just being a good mom and not wanting to scare me. He's like, oh, you're going to heaven. You're a good person. You don't like, you don't kill people. You're not a murderer. You know, like you, you're great. You're good. You're going to heaven. Probably just to calm my eight or nine-year-old nerves, like, you know, it's like, well, I don't really know, son. I'm not really sure. I don't know. Maybe she would be worried about it. I don't know. No, she was the mom that said, hey, you're a good kid. You're going to heaven, right? And that was like, in a lot of ways, that's a, that's a lot of humanity's idea. Like, either we don't worry about it, we don't believe in it, or like, we think we're probably going to go. Or on our own sliding scale, we're doing well, and if we don't feel like we're doing well, we just try to do better. And all of a sudden, we're in this rat race, in this hamster wheel of trying to earn salvation. 
And this is this man's hope when he comes to Jesus, that he's, he's hoped that compared to everyone else, because I'm wealthy, wealthy and I'm blessed and I've performed well, he's hoping and waiting for Jesus to say, stamp of approval, you're good, buddy. You made it. You were good enough and strong enough and you performed well enough. And so now you're in. Here's a golden ticket. But Jesus responds and addresses this man's inability to earn salvation by getting to the heart of the matter. So look with me right here to verse uh, 21. And so verse 21, looking at the man, just, just note this real quick. Jesus feels genuine love for him. Stop there. This guy is like, Kind of ridiculous, right? He's throwing his credentials out. He's the man. I can do it. I've done everything well. And Jesus, look at Jesus' response to this guy. Like, he, he genuinely hears this guy. He hears him. He's actually at his feet at the moment, begging him, kind of saying all the wrong things, trying to earn his salvation. And Jesus, with all the compassion of God the Father, genuinely loves him, he says. And then he says this. He says, there's still one thing you haven't done. And then he goes into, you know, sell everything you have and give all your money away, and then you'll have treasure, and then you can follow me. So what he's doing here is he's actually challenging and testing where this rich man's allegiance lies, or better yet, where his trust, trust or his treasure lies. And so the third point we can see is that Jesus addresses where does our treasure lie? And so he says to this man, if you want to be saved, you need to give up everything you have. And the rich man's response in verse 22, it says, at this, the man's face fell, literally jaw dropping. Could not believe what Jesus said. And he, and he turns, and he goes away, sad. There's no conversation. There's no thinking about it. What Jesus has just said to this man is too hard. The affections of this man's heart around his wealth is it's too important to him, and he is not willing to do what Jesus said, and he's sad about it. I mean, there's like a real turmoil happening. He's so astonished and surprised, and he, he feels sad, and he turns away, because he had too much stuff. He had many possessions. And so for this man to do what Jesus said would have cost him a lot. Would have cost him everything. Jesus here wasn't so much about the stuff and about the amount of stuff, but it was, he was testing what was most important to this man. But Jesus, by asking him to go sell everything, he was searching the very depth of this man's heart. Or in other words, Jesus was actually testing who this man's God really was. Who, who do you serve? Who do you take orders from? What directs your life? Is it your wealth or is it me? Is it your status or is it God? And so Jesus, by just merely saying, you want to be saved? Then give everything away. Then come to me. By saying that, tested at the core of this man what he was about. And for this rich young ruler, this man's wealth was an idol. It was an idol. He had made it a god. 
in his life. An idol is, is, is something we put in the place where God should only have that place. Tim Keller wrote this great book. It's called Counterfeit Gods. If you haven't read it, read it. It's all about uh, idols in our society and in our culture. And idols can be anything from our spouse to our kids to our job to our wealth. And he goes into it and it's really good. It's really convicting, but it's really good. So read it. There is a quote by Tim Keller from this book explaining this very thing happening with this man. And he explains what an idol is for us. He says, an idol is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give, to give you what only God can give. Anything that is so central and essential to your life that should you lose it, your life would feel hardly worth living. That's an idol. And for this man in this situation, this man treasured wealth so much that he was not willing to give it up for God. That was his God. That was his security. That was his everything. The treasures of this world were more important to him than God. And so Jesus asking this and him responding is really revealing the heart of where this guy was. But more than that, if you remember what Jesus just did, he went through a list of almost all the commandments, and the guy passed the test 100%. But the first commandment is that you should not have any other God before me. What this man was doing was he was exalting his wealth as God before God. He was breaking the first and the most important commandment by his heart having the affections of the world over God. He had maybe checked all the boxes. He had maybe lived a righteous life, but he was missing the core, the foundation of how faith exists. And that's that God is God and his place is on the throne of my life and nothing else competes for that. Everything else is secondary, and everything else is worth giving up to get him. For this man, that was not true. But it illuminated. Instead of his religious, works-based salvation, it illuminated the depth of the problem. And the glaring truth for you and I, if you didn't know this already, is that we cannot obtain our own salvation. In order to be saved, we have to make God most important to us. We can't serve two masters, the Bible says. We can't serve money and God. We can't have both. We need to put God in his proper place. And then everything else falls in line. Many things in life including wealth, fights for our affections of our hearts. Absolutely. Even when we don't know it, the affections, the prominence, the throne of our lives, so to speak, is, is there, everything in the world is competing against God for it. And for this man, God wasn't on the throne. His wealth was. And so the disciples ask, you know, in verse 23, Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, so how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? This amazed them. 
But Jesus said again, dear children, it is very hard to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were astounded. Then who in the world can be saved, they asked. Jesus looked intently and said, humanly speaking, it's impossible, but not with God. Everything is possible with God. What he's saying there about the camel going through the needle, uh, the eye of a needle, is it means that a camel can't go through an eye of a needle. It's impossible. It can't happen. It doesn't happen. And he's, he's really, in a sober way, telling us, telling them, that if you are wealthy and if you are rich, it's harder for you. Life is not easier. You may have a nicer car and maybe nicer clothes, but when it comes to you and Jesus, beware and be of sober mind. Like, it is going to be hard for you. Is it impossible? On our own strength? Yes. With God? No. It does not mean that you do have to literally and physically go sell everything, become poor, give it all away so that you can get Jesus. But if your heart can't navigate that. If your heart can't be rich, but have Jesus on the throne, then you probably do need to do those things if you want to get Jesus. Yes, I just told you to give all your money away. Give box right back there. I'm just kidding. I had to do it. It was funny. No, it's not. Um, but there's this like real sober thing. And so Jesus is saying, I'm not, I don't care about the stuff you have and the amount of stuff. I care about your heart and the and where your affections lie of your heart. It's much harder for those of us that have much to trust in Jesus because the love of money can strongly take a hold of our hearts. There's over 2,000 Bible verses about money. Compared to like heaven and faith, there's like 500 each. 2,000 Bible verses because it's that like important and a big deal and, and, and can be a struggle. Jesus speaks about this in the Sermon of the Mount in Matthew 6, verses 19 through 21. He talks about how our treasure and our hearts are connected. He says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, neither where moth nor rust destroys and where thieves break in and steal. Listen to this, verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So for the rich man, where was his treasure? It was in, on earth. So where was his heart? In those things. Not close to God. <clears throat> the last thing that will come out of this is we'll see that salvation only comes through grace. Right? Jesus' sacrificial death that he paid on the cross he died to pay our debt and our sin that we had accrued. Our righteous life didn't pay that debt, right? Our good works, our human striving, all the times we went to church, all the stuff that we've ever done for God didn't save us. It's Jesus, right? Our salvation comes from the blood of Christ. We haven't earned it. We've received it as a free gift, right? The kingdom is received as a gift, and grace, by definition, is an undeserved gift. We didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it. It's been given to us by Christ. 
And we have not obtained anything or can't attain anything from God through our own merit. Like that is the gospel. The gospel is that we can't do it and so we need Jesus. And he did it because we couldn't. That's the gospel. It's by Christ's merit that we're saved. And so what that takes is a turning from sin, right? It's repentance. Repentance just means a turning away from sin. It's a renouncing of our own merit. The only way that you truly get saved is you give up. You stop striving. You stop trying. And you say, God, I can't do it anymore. I need you. A surrender occurs. And what has to happen when you come to Jesus is you have to lay down or destroy idols in your life. You cannot have both. You cannot have Jesus and on the throne of your lives. There's only one king. And it's got to be King Jesus. Or else it doesn't work. And so in order for us to come to the Lord and live for the Lord and be saved and and, and gain eternal life, like this man was saying, is that we lay down everything at the feet of Jesus. We lay down our affections for other things. We repent and we receive the gospel as our true treasure. And again, this doesn't mean that practically or literally you have to give up everything. It may, right? It may. But it's an issue of where the affections and treasure of our heart lie. And so Peter, the very last few verses of our text right now, says this. <clears throat> so, so then uh, Peter began to speak up, verse 28. <laughs> and if you know Peter, this is just so silly what he says. But we've given up everything to follow you, right? Like, this is Peter, right? He's always thinking he's the best. He's always thinking, like, he never did anything wrong. He's the greatest. Peter's like, wait, okay, this guy, he didn't do it, but we surely did, right? We gave up everything for you, Lord. Aren't we good? Haven't we done this? And then Jesus goes on to explain, well, you need to, and your life's going to be blessed by doing it, but also you're going to receive persecution. Don't forget that. That's part of following me. But you will gain eternal life if you trust in me and make you Lord and give up the passing pleasures of the world to get me. So yes, Peter, you're awesome, cool. But it's about me and not you. And yes, you'll get eternal life if you trust in me. That's what Jesus says. It's my paraphrase there. But if there is another great example of the stark contrast of this rich man is Paul, Paul the apostle. Because Paul, if there is anyone that could boast in religiosity. I mean that, that if you could work out your salvation and you could earn right standing with God, it was Paul. He was bad. I mean, he was, he was the guy. And so he even brings that up in the case to, in the letter to the church in Philippi, in, in the book of Philippians. He writes this, speaking of himself, Philippians 3, 4 through 9. This is Paul speaking. I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel. I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, I've been a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, I've been blameless. But whatever gain I had, here's where it changes. 
all of that, I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because it's a surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and I count them as rubbish. It means what it means. It means garbage. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Paul, in the book of Philippians, sums up the entire story that we're reading here today. It's not of my own strength. If there's anyone to boast, I could post. But everything that I've done is rubbish compared to Jesus, and I'd give up everything to get him again. And he did. And so the question for us is, where is our treasure and, and does that treasure lie above Christ? Or, or is Christ our treasure? And is that where our heart is? I want to encourage you in the same way that, that Jesus looked at this man kneeling at his feet with genuine love. He looks the same at us this morning. In all our mess, in all our junk, in all our striving, wherever you're at in your life, with the Lord, with genuinely with genuine love, he looks at you and just says, come to me. I've done it. Stop. Come to me and let me lead you. Let me be your king. And out of that love is why Jesus went to the cross. He died so that we could have life. And so the question that we have to take home, that we have to ponder over and assess is, are we willing to lay everything else down in order that we may gain Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, I just want to thank you and acknowledge that you are worth it. You are worth giving up everything for to gain. You are far better than any gold and any silver and anything the world could offer any status, any position, any job, any house, any car, any type of lifestyle is not as good. You are better, you are far better, and you are worth giving that all up for. And Lord, the reason why we worship you is because of that truth, that you're king, that you're Lord, and that you are the treasure that we seek. You're the treasure that we want to base and live our lives upon. You're the treasure we want to give up everything else to get. And so, Lord, I pray, though, that you would help us to get to that place. It's one thing saying that. It's one thing wanting that. But, Lord, would we want to go deep right now in our hearts during this time of worship. We just pray that if, you need a, if, you need a, if we need to surrender things to you, if we need to give up things, we want to do that. Holy Spirit, help us. Help us to not be like the man that hears this and is bummed about it and walks out the doors and doesn't look back. We want to be a people that say, yeah, you're worth it, Lord, and I'm willing to give up everything for it. And so tell me, what do I need to do? But, but, but God, help us, Lord, because there are stuff that's really important to us or we've made important to us. Or, God, would you even illuminate now our eyes where we have idols?
where we have things in our life that have taken the place of God. And so God, we pray for all of that to happen during this time. And we just recognize, God, that you are better than those things. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.